When I was young and stressed out, I would bake. So I, when I was in my 20s and when I was completing graduate work, when I would have papers due and assignments and oh, I would bake cookies and cookie bars and pies. And, and I've noticed that certain ingredients are used over and over again in making desserts, sugar, eggs, chocolate, brown sugar, butter, confectioner sugar, flour, vanilla. But I've also noticed that there are certain ingredients that are never used to make something sweet, to make a dessert. Cabbage, beets, ugh, slimy spinach, pickled pig's feet. Our virtue focus for the month of April is peace, proving you care more about each other than winning an argument. And in the Bible, there are two words used for peace. Irene, which is the Greek word, and shalom, or salome, which is the Hebrew word. Shalom is one of the big themes of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's one of the big themes of the Bible as a whole. Adam and Eve lose shalom when they disobey God and rebel against God's rule. Jesus promises shalom to his disciples as a gift. Now, part of what makes shalom, shalom, is that the relationships are right. Your relationship with God is right. Your relationship with others, your relationships with others are right. And your relationship with yourself is right, with your conscience, with your heart. But part of what shalom also means is completeness or wholeness. That anything broken is restored and made right. Now, for those of you listening, you can't see this, but I've, I've got two eggs one egg I, I hard-boiled for 10 minutes, and this egg is whole. It's complete. This other egg, though, that I have in my hands is, is broken. The shell has been broken open, and the yolk has been poured down the drain. The first egg is shalom. The second egg is not shalom. So what are the ingredients necessary for shalom. Well, the, the Apostle Paul lists them in several of his letters, and we're going to look at one such list in his letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in the town of Coloss, a, a town a lot like Nicholasville, a, a smaller town next to a bigger, more important one, <laughs> Lexington. <laughs> so let's read in a, a section at a time, and I want, to, I want to open up this passage for you. So Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17 in chunks. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So Paul says, set your sights to the realities of heaven. Seek zeteo. You gotta, you gotta actively pursue what is above. What is above these realities of heaven is not automatic. And he also says that our life is, is hidden with Christ. I don't know if you watch crime shows, but I love watching NCIS. And occasionally, we encounter someone who's in the witness protection program. And the thing about being in the witness protection program is that you can go into Kroger and no one knows your real identity. I mean, they see you. They may know you as Gary, but, but no one knows that you are connected with the mob. You're, you're literally hidden in plain sight. This is what Paul has in mind when he says your real life is hidden in Christ. It's, it's hidden in plain sight. And then he goes on, verse five and following. So, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but, but now is the time to get rid of anger. Rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. So, so Paul, Paul starts off this list with a list of vices. Uh, these ingredients would be the kind of bad ingredients, the beets and the cabbage and the slimy spinach. These are bad habits. And he says, put to death, literally make them a corpse. And, and so he lists six sins or bad habits that can really mess up your life. The first four describe sexual activity that is uncontrolled. You want it, you feel it, you do it. Paul is saying that someone who is greedy and lustful is someone who's, who's out of control. They're someone who's dominated by their desires and it rouses the anger of God. In Paul's thinking, and this is how it plays out in reality, if, if your life is characterized by these vices, by these bad habits, by these sexual bad habits where, where it's uncontrolled, you're probably bent toward rebelling against God. And if that wasn't enough, he includes this second list of vices where he mentions things like anger, rage, and malice. And what he's saying is that these things are inward emotions that are outwardly expressed through malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. And he says, put off such things. Well, he, he flips the, the script, so to speak, in verse 10. Put on instead, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. So these list of bad ingredients, these bad virtues, these bad habits, Paul says, get rid of them, uh, make them a corpse. And then he lists some virtues, some, some good habits, some good ingredients. And he says, put those on develop them. And so I, I want to remind you that 
that getting rid of bad habits isn't automatic and developing good habits isn't automatic either. It's, it's, it's going to take some work. Now, in life, you're going to run across people who have a testimony like this. They'll say, the day I turned to the Lord, I just, I stopped emotional eating. For years, for 22 years, I ate a whole gallon of ice cream every night. I just couldn't help myself. It was just emotional eating. But then when I turned to the Lord, I haven't even touched a spoonful. And it's been seven years since then. I've not had a touch of ice cream. Hallelujah. Now, you're going to run into people who have a testimony like that. And that's great and that's wonderful. But that's the exception and not the norm. It's the exception and not the norm. The norm is this getting rid of and putting on. This habit formation. And, and so he goes on in verse 12, and he uses the metaphor of, of putting on clothing. He says, since God cl- chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Clothe yourself. So let me ask a question. In the morning, when your alarm clock does its thing, when you get out of bed, are you clothed automatically in, in the clothing of the day, the work clothes? I mean, does... Does it magically happen? No. You, you stumble out of bed. A lot of you are trying to figure out where the coffee maker is. You're not even conscious until the second mug. No, no, it's not automatic. It's something that requires some effort on your part. But Paul says in verse 15 something very powerful. He says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now, there's, a, there's an interesting word used here for this rule, the, the, the shalom of God. And Paul says it's gonna rule, the shalom of Christ is gonna rule in your hearts. This word for rule is the same word that's used to refer to an official who would be the, the kind of judge or the referee of these Greco-Roman games where they would have running and all these kind of athletic con. Uh, competitions and at the end of all of it this judge this ruler this referee would award the prize they would be the arbiter of the race now in our world it, it would be kind of like saying let the peace of Christ be the referee in your life we all know what a referee does a referee makes the calls A referee says, that's legal, that's foul. A referee's call is final. Doesn't matter how mad the coach gets, doesn't matter if the coach throws a chair. The referee's call is final. And and so Paul is saying that shalom, that peace of Christ should be the judge, should be the deciding thing in your heart, the governing thing in your heart in life. And then he wraps it up in verses 16 and 17 by saying this, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill 
your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Let me, let me ask a few questions, right? In, in light of this passage, in light of peace, shalom, <laughs> What kind of egg are you right now? Are you a shalom egg that's whole and complete? Or are you a non-shalom egg, one that's been cracked open and maybe leaked out a little? And then secondly, do you have the right ingredients in your life right now for shalom to form, for shalom to bake or to rise? Do you have, the, you have things like sugar and brown sugar and flour and butter or do you have things like cabbage and beets and slimy spinach? I mean, do you have uh, that, these uh, things that he talks about, uh, forgiveness, allowing for one another, humility, kindness, which would be the kind of flour and butter and sugar or do you have anger and rage and, and lust and impurity, the kind of beets and cabbage stuff. What kind of ingredients do you have in your life right now? And lastly, what, when conflict or disagreements or hurt feelings surface, who's the internal referee deciding how you respond? Is it the peace of Christ or is it your ego, right? Who decides internally what you say and what you do and how do you react. Let me suggest some ways to kind of take this home. First of all, habit formation, eliminating bad habits, starting good habits is not automatic. It's just not automatic, it takes some work. And here's some things that we've learned from, from neuroscientists. If you're trying to eliminate a bad habit, there's a few things to keep in mind. First, you gotta choose a substitute for the bad habit. This is having apples on hand instead of potato chips if you're wanting to eat differently. Um, instead of social media, where you have, it might have a tendency to be jealous or be angry over the post that you see, maybe it's better to listen to the Bible Project or even watch an episode of NCIS or something that's, that's not gonna be that kind of a trigger for the kind of bad habits that you wanna avoid. So choose a substitute. And if, if you find yourself getting angry, instead of lashing out, you could always do the countdown, right? Count out from 10, 10, nine, eight, before you speak. And then I love the way that so many people do the Jesus prayer. They will, as they breathe in, they'll just start breathing. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Lord Jesus, have mercy. I'm not gonna say anything. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Cut out triggers. Another aspect of eliminating bad habits is to cut out triggers. For a long time, I was snacking at night in a way that I didn't want to, and I, I made, I cut out the trigger. So in other words, when I was grocery shopping, I didn't buy the stuff that I, was that I wanted at night. So when that, that sensation hit at 7.30, 8 o'clock, oh, I'd love some potato chips. There weren't any potato chips in the house. I had cut out the trigger. And then lastly, join forces with somebody. Pair up, find a buddy, join a group. So th those are some practical th ways to kind of avoid a, or eliminate a bad habit. But what if you want to start a new habit? 
Again, according to neuroscientists, you're going to need a trigger or a cue or a reminder. If you want to get up for church and you want to make it to church, it's really helpful to set an alarm the night before. Uh, I've used post-it notes on my steering wheel, on my mirror, uh, on my computer screen as triggers or as cues or reminders of the kind of good habits that I want to clothe myself or that I want to start and have become part of my life. And then another thing about starting a new habit is to, is to uh, reward yourself when you are doing what you want to do, right? This new habit. So if you've walked away from a fight, if you've disengaged, if you've chosen peace in that relationship that was prone to conflict, reward yourself. Like I, I'm thinking of every Thanksgiving, you get into an argument over politics with your brother and then your father-in-law. And it's like every Thanksgiving, it's the same thing. Only this Thanksgiving, you didn't. Well, you know what? Go to a steakhouse and treat yourself to a steak. Do something that will reward the very thing that you want to become normal in your life. The last thing has to do with um, something Paul tells us in another letter, in his letter to the, to the Philippians. In chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says this, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then, then you will experience God's peace, which, he, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What do we see here? Ask for help. Ask for help, right? Tell God what you need. Ask for help. And then uh, thank him for all he has done. Practice gratitude. Instead of focus, uh, focusing on what's not working, what you don't have, focus on what you do have. Look for what God has done in your life and thank him for it. Gratitude unlocks not only joy, but it unlocks peace in your life. Now, am I telling you, am I telling you that you gotta, you gotta do peace at all costs? Or am I telling you that you're never gonna have conflict? No, I'm a realist. Are you kidding me? You're gonna encounter conflict. And, and sometimes it's, you're gonna encounter conflict because you have to take a stand for something or someone. But in America today, let's be honest, we have all the wrong ingredients for shalom. We have all the wrong ingredients for peace. Social media, identity politics, fear-mongering. It's like we're putting in a bowl cabbage, beets, pickled pig's feet, and slimy spinach, and we're hoping a cake is going to come out. <laughs> what would happen if our homes and our churches became places of shalom? What would happen if our, if our homes and our churches became places of shalom, places of completeness, places of wholeness, places where, on the whole, the relationships were right. You know what I think would happen? We'd turn the world upside down, just like the earliest Christians did in the days of the, of the Roman Empire. As it turns out, as it turns out, human beings long for things to be right. They long for things to be right with God, right with others, and right with themselves, with their conscience. 
as it turns out, Jesus Christ truly is the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace.